Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Hey everybody, welcome to Last Drinks. We are trudging along, is that the word? We are kicking along the road. We are... I mean, look, it's the middle of the year. I don't even understand where this year is going, but it's going by fast. Um, And I got a great little message I wanted to share with you guys. I love hearing from you. You can send me a DM at Last Drinks Pod is the podcast Instagram, or you can follow me at Maz Compton. I love hearing your feedback. And this comes from uh, someone who only recently started listening to the podcast and is loving it, which is wonderful, but shared that in terms of alcohol, I'm 22 years old and never really had any drinking issues, only ever went hard with it from the age of 18, like most people do when they can legally drink, that that phase was only going out with mates a few weekends over a six-month period. Eventually, the novelty wore off and I don't really drink very much anymore. My last drink was just before last Christmas and I've decided just because I don't care for alcohol that much that I'm going to be sober for all of 2023. Not necessarily for my own personal needs, but to honour anyone who has gone through or is going through difficulties with alcohol and drugs. And I just thought that was such a beautiful intention and such a wonderful motivation to honour the people who are having a rough time with it, honour the people who are finding themselves at the bottom of a barrel or at that crossroads or that line in the sand or the fork in the road, however you want to phrase that moment where you realise that maybe your drinking is not working for you. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast find themselves in that space. So I just wanted to do a shout out to the person who sent that message, you know who you are and say, good on you. That is such a beautiful, encouraging and wonderful thing to do to, to not have any drinks for someone else. I think that that's, that's really cool. And whatever your intention is for not drinking, it's really nice to verbalize it. Sometimes it's lovely to write it down for yourself, just to remind yourself, this is why you're doing it. And I think for a lot of people, just not drinking is not a good enough or a big enough reason to not drink. I think it has to be about more than not drinking. It's got to be about exploring sobriety and discovering what sober days look like and And choosing to look at sobriety like this wonderful adventure of new. I think that's such an enticing way to look at sobriety rather than depriving yourself of something that you've done for so long. So there's my little encouragement. And now let's get to the juice. This is such a great chat. Um, This week I'm speaking to a relationship expert. Her name is Alina Rose. You can follow her on Instagram. She is I am Alina 
Rose, and she is absolutely phenomenal. She does this for a living. She's a relationship mentor, a communication expert. Um, she talks about transformation, empowerment. She does workshops and private sessions as well. So if you love what we chat about, maybe worth reaching out to Alina. But I wanted to talk to her because it's something I've wanted to talk on the podcast about for a while and I've been looking for the right expert to cover it with. Um, I myself, I'm in a committed monogamous relationship with my wonderful husband um, and we've been married for a long time now. But I wondered what it was like to be in the dating world and to be single uh, and how alcohol is just so linked in with um, dating and first dates and last dates and relationships and um, that whole world that I'm really not well versed in. So I thought this would be one for all the people who aren't married necessarily, who are looking down the barrel of dating and, and being sober. It is possible according to an expert. So that's really encouraging. And we did start our chat off with um, a visitor in my home podcasting studio. My Cavoodle Cross Kelpie Happy decided to be my little podcasting buddy. And so he sort of jumped nearly up on my lap as we started the chat. So that is, um, that is Alina saying hello to my dog. And then we get into a really wonderful conversation. So I hope you enjoy this edition of Last Drinks with Alina Rose, a fantastic relationship expert. Oh, hi, Happy. You're such a sweet boy, I'm assuming. Little boy, yeah. Sweet boy. Look yes. at you. Oh, you're gorgeous. Go and sit down. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, Alina, Alina, Alina Rose. How are you going? Oh, I'm so good, Maz. Thanks for Great. having me. Oh, thank you for agreeing to have this conversation. I haven't talked about booze and relationships uh, on this podcast yet. And it's something that is, it's really loaded. Um, it's really complex, but I feel like you are absolutely the expert um, to unpack this dense topic with. So, oh. <laughs> oh, there's so much. And look, I've been married for a number of years and I've been out of the dating game um, for so, so, so long. The thought of dating terrifies me in general, let alone doing it sober. Um, mm. But let's kick the conversation off with why is dating and alcohol just so intrinsically linked? Like it's it's like everyone drinks on a first, second, third, fourth, 50th date. It's just what we do as a society. Why is that? Yeah, well, I think you used the word, which is dating is terrifying, first of all. And I don't see why it is, but we've created so much pressure around it that it's potentially the greatest job interview of your life. You have to be impressive. You have to say the right things and not be awkward. And, you know, this person is new and maybe you've met online. And, ah, you know, alcohol is that immediate gateway we have to relaxing our biochemistry and allowing some of those nerves to subside so that our personalities can shine or so we hope. So <clears throat> obviously that nerve relaxant is the first obvious reason and I think dating is becoming even scarier potentially as technology advances because we have access to more and more strangers which mm. 
you might think counterintuitively means you'd be more on your wits and want to remain quite lucid, but we just kind of throw caution to the wind. And why is alcohol so permissible? Because it's pretty damn romantic in our society. I mean, sharing a bottle of wine together and going to a winery when you start dating and toasting the champagne, you know, at your wedding, ideally. So there are a lot of very romantic notions linked around alcohol as well. So it, you know, goes with dating, you know, like peanut butter and jelly in it some ways. Really- you just said it, it is so romanticized. It really, it so is. And like whether that's the narrative from the movies that we watch and the TV shows that we grew up on, it there and and big alcohol in general, the the advertising of alcohol is so. It's escapism. It's the life that you would rather be living. It's what holidays are all about. It's what you deserve at the end of a long day. So so rewriting that narrative is so difficult as an individual, let alone as an individual who exists in this like microcosm of of, al- of alcohol and everything in a way. So, okay, let's say, um, do you think that a sober person can date a non-sober person? Oh, um, anything is possible with emotional maturity and realistic expectations and considerations. And actually, I have a few friends who are sober and dating a non-sober person, but the drinking partner in this case has absolutely reduced their drinking to the point where they would not drink around the partner. And I think it's actually pretty cool because you really upgrade and you elevate to much more mindful activities. And with the wonderful explosion of zero alcohol drinks on the market, you are always holding something in your hand. You can absolutely go to a dinner party and have a zero alcohol wine and zero alcohol beer. So those kind of social milestones are still rewarded. You're not just like drinking a water in the corner of the room while everyone else is indulging. Uh, But if we remember that love is a drug and, you know, we call it being drunk on love, which is something I'd love to speak to in a bit further why that link happens. We just want the feel-good emotions. We want the feeling of being in love. We want the feeling of being connected and elated. And couples have so many other options of generating those experiences, Uh, going camping together, going to the art gallery, going on roller coasters, watching horror movies together, those heightened experiences that bond us, that alcohol is just, if we're really creative, one in a hundred options in that equation of still kind of getting those giddy, happy, seductive chemicals up. So yeah, it can if the non-drinking person's willing to be flexible and understand that this is a way of life and not to push their partner to drink. Well, and this is the thing because this sort of uh, kind of happened in my marriage. So when I quit drinking, I mean, I wasn't married to Glenn at the time. We were just, we were dating. But I I stopped drinking. I had alcohol use disorder. I had, you know, it was quite problematic for me. And I, I went sober. And 10 months into my sobriety, he was like, well, I guess I'm just not going to drink. Because, mm. and he, it wasn't problematic for him at all. Like he could have a beer with the boys or a couple of whiskeys. Like it was it was no big deal, but he was like, I'm not going to sit around the fire in the Blue Mountains and have a glass of red by myself because the idea is that it was connection. It was like, I want to have yes. a glass of wine with you and alcohol doesn't work for you. So 
we're not going to partake in that. So then we did pivot and find mm. other ways to connect with each other. And neither of us have had a drink now. I'm eight and a half years sober. He's seven and a half years sober. And wow. Yeah. And, but like our marriage didn't get boring. Well, actually we were just date. I mean, we got married and then at our wedding we eloped and um, Glenn said to me like, Hey, we just like literally ran away to Bali and got married. Sorry, mum. And he was like, do you want a glass of champagne? Cause we just got married. And I was like, no, I'm good. Because that's not going to enhance just the beauty and the secrecy and just all of this cool stuff. I'm like, that's going to actually take away from the moment now. And so what used to be something that I would tap into to connect, which was enhancement of using alcohol to enhance those feelings, enhance conversation, it was then the opposite. I was like, the alcohol actually retract and detract from the reality of how wonderful and amazing this is. Mm. Couldn't agree more. And first of all, congratulations. It is an incredible devotion to the journey. And thank you. That you and, and you know, inspiring Glenn. And it, it is so easy to kind of pivot back. And if I may just ask you a question, because I think this is a, you know, even if we decide to be sober as a couple, we're a part of a wider social construct. Mm. Do you think you would have had a dry wedding if you didn't elope and had all your loved ones there? Gosh, that's such a great question because when we were thinking about getting married and the reason why we eloped is because the families can be, it's quite complex. There's um, divorced parents with other partners. There's stepchildren. Mm. It's like a whole, like, no wonder we eloped, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but when we were thinking of doing an actual wedding, um, I don't think it would have been a dry wedding. I think we would have we would have put on drinks for those who wanted to drink, but I actually feel like we would have done an early, like a morning thing. Mm-hmm. If we were thinking about doing like a bit of a brunch picnic thing with some food trucks somewhere, like that was kind of the vibe. So it wasn't going to be like this big night, like traditional walk down the aisle photos at 3 p.m., arrive at the reception, sit down dinner. That was never going to be the vibe for us anyway. So, and I've always you know, even in sobriety, if I'm socializing, I've, I've been fine with other people drinking around me. Like it doesn't, other people drinking alcohol doesn't trigger me. I just know when to go home. So even, you know, thinking about like when we've been at the pub and, you know, like my friend Stu was like, oh, hey, Maz, do you want a beer? And I'd be like, no, I'm not drinking. It's like, oh, that's right. I forgot. (laughs) You know, like I've been fine I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just I don't want to hold people accountable mm. to what I'm holding myself accountable to. And I don't want to be judgy and I don't want to like break a relationship um, if there's no reason to. And so I don't know that it would have been a dry wedding. But again, I don't know that it would have been like that traditional everyone Party. just like, loses yeah. their minds by midnight and turns into pumpkins scenario. That's not what we were looking down the barrel of. Oh, breakfast date. It's so beautiful. And you also speak to this really important realisation that, and I've gone through long stints not drinking, um, it actually elevates your mood and your connection and presence. And nothing feels more vivid than reality. So mm. absolutely, like alcohol kind of sits on a vibrational scale. So if you are feeling you know, a bit crap, terrible day, things are a bit toxic, that short 
dopamine hit is going to elevate you absolutely. But if you're in a great state of mind and you're feeling good and you've got your own natural production of serotonin, et cetera, a drink is just going to dull you down, make you anxious, make you a bit kind of dopey. And mm. we so kind of imagine that an alcoholic drink is not medicine. It's like, well, everything's better with it, with big colored goggles. But it's so not if you just allow yourself that segue to get to a point where you kind of recalibrate and life and connection, it's vivid and it really is a genuine fairy tale rather than a fabricated one through those, yeah, dulled by the, chemical lenses. Well, yeah, like the murkiness, you know, like I think sometimes alcohol adds a layer of haze to your reality, like the reality that you're sitting in. Um, so, okay, what is your advice for uh, someone who is an introvert? Mm. So, you know, like not super great in social situations necessarily, who may struggle with anxious feelings before being in a social environment, who's in the dating game, who ha has, has to have a drink before they go out and meet people. Mm. Yeah. How, well, do, I... how do you undo that? Um, because the alcohol is serving a purpose for that person, not necessarily a great one, but it's giving them whatever they need to get out that front door to socialise, to date and, and what have you. And mm. um, for some people it would feel really impossible to not have a drink under their belt before they go out into those social environments? That's a great question. And this comes from a very limited story that we tell ourselves. So I think the best person for, to be your life partner, let's assume we're dating, you know, to find a long-term life partner, is somebody that you forget to drink around. So if someone connects with you or thinks you're awesome even from a social perspective just because you kind of jump out of your shell uh then they're not getting to know the real you uh and i know i've got so many introverted friends they're all so fascinating and they warm right up once they're comfortable and mm. they may be kind of a little bit reserved in situations where they don't know people but when they're safe with their good friends they're just as talkative and interesting and fascinating and silly and goofy as anyone else. And uh, alcohol is just such a limited solution. Uh, meditation may be a wonderful technique to get you out of your shell before you go out because it really does calibrate your left and right brain hemisphere. So you connect more with your heart. And you're not overthinking, which a lot of the time self-consciousness is just overthinking dancing around the lounge room and singing and doing some yoga, kind of getting some life force and movement, like those silly exercises that uh, actors do before they go on stage to just kind of lubricate their extroversion so that they're extra mm. on stage. Or, you know, an introverted person would have just shake it all out, that they would just bring their extra self. And then allow people to get to know the real you. You are a reserved, introverted, quieter person. That's exactly what people are going to fall in love with, connect with, and that way you get to know the people who are taking the time to get to know the real you, asking you questions, drawing you out instead of feeling the pressure to entertain others. Yeah, and I think there's so much pressure on people to 
to tap into their extroversion. I think there is so much pressure to be bubbly and vibey and, you know, like mm. she's a vibe. And some people aren't naturally wired that way. So, you know, I, I'm extroverted in the sense that I perform for a job. I'm a radio host and I MC events and I'm great on a stage. But I know now, and I've figured this out in sobriety, that I am an introvert at heart and I need downtime and space and time alone to recalibrate so that then I can go out back into the world and do my job. And I always thought that I was an extrovert. <laughs> mm. And so I think when you realize that about yourself, that's such great advice to really lean in and if you are a really quiet, deep, centered, grounded person, be that person, you know, Same. and I guess date in environments where that is going to be embraced and not um, not conflicted, right? Because if you're going out to the clubs, it's really hard to be introverted in in those environments, whereas you could find a social group or something that you're really into where you can't, it can be a little bit more calm and chilled and and it may not be so scary. Absolutely. I mean, why do we think that clubs and drinking and we are looking in friendships and relationships for compatibility, for like-mindedness and for mm. balance. Um, I generally tend to have some pretty mellow, like introverted friends around me uh, because I, I'm that way inclined. And anyone who's like, oh, we out, et cetera, I could probably take in smaller doses. Whereas other people are the opposite. They want buzzy, crazy, vibrant people around them because it energizes them. And we're all the perfect match for somebody and we're all a tribe. And absolutely, if clubs are not your thing, you know, most introverted people would just sort of walk in, have a drink and be like, oh, I need to go home and watch my succession, you know, and just relax <laughs> at home. So yeah. be and do you and you'll become magnetic to the relationships that, expand your heart and bring out the best in you yeah that's really good advice okay i want to i want to talk about intimacy um but it's it's like where do you where do you start and i want to be really careful how i i talk about this topic because alcohol and sex um don't always mix very well and i know that i know personally of people who have had terrible encounters when booze and sex are, are wildly combined. So um, I feel like there's a perception that sex is easier after, when you're drunk. Do you, would you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts on that? I mean, again, if we are getting to know somebody and we are setting the foundation for drunken sex, does that mean that we're always going to have drunken sex for the rest of our life? And there is no, when done from a space of presence and connection and consent, sex is enough in terms of its kind of beauty and pleasure and fire and like that intoxicating oneness. Uh, alcohol is really not required. It is a, a third party that is quite unwelcome to a genuine connection. So uh, if we begin with the journey to consent, uh, I was reading a study just early in preparation for a conversation that after four or five drinks, about 86% of women in a study by alcohol.org said that they're no longer able to consent uh, actively. 
to whether or not have sex or not. And <clears throat> what happens is that alcohol wow. in itself, and, and it's not to say that uh, women are taken advantage of necessarily, but if the sober you would be like, I'm going to get to know this person before I share that part. But then after the fourth or fifth drink, you're like, YOLO, yay, who cares, amazing. And the danger of dating and drinking, especially when you're trying to break a relationship pattern, is that love is a drug on its own and attraction is a drug. And, you know, we're all often trying to make better dating choices, you know, and our attachment style and, oh, this could potentially be a toxic connection and I'm going to go and date mindfully and listen out for red flags. And then kind of you share a bottle of wine and then maybe you finish off with a cocktail and suddenly uh, the person who you're getting to know and maybe assessing in front of you, devil may care, throw caution to the wind, then you go out dancing and then you just go and it could have been a really great relationship but you've accelerated intimacy and you kind of wake up with an intimacy hangover and um, you haven't really created that chance to get to know each other a bit slower or if it's a really bad choice, either way you wake up with regret, either, oh no, this person may not call me and you're beating yourself up or, oh gosh, this person is another bad choice. So either way, there's that uh, acceleration of mm. <laughs> of intimacy that it doesn't serve to create a strong foundation, especially when you are wanting to date more mindfully and you've just got to slow things down so you can assess. But also, of course, sex is not better. from a a physical perspective, there is a high chance of erectile dysfunction. Uh, <clears throat> your organs as a woman are a lot more numb, so your ability to achieve orgasm is going to be a lot harder. There is a, you know, vaginal lubrication doesn't come as forthcomingly, and that sense of really knowing, you know, attraction, rhythm, connection, chemistry, your, your scent, your rhythm, your skin-on-skin -skin contact, you kind of are checking out and kind of mm. bumping bits mindlessly and you don't even know whether it is a genuine erotic connection for you, but your mind may be telling you this is great because maybe you feel relaxed or like you don't care. But I mean, I think sex on alcohol and drugs is like the worst thing. And how can you know anyone? How can you love anyone when you're not seeing them in the most naked and intimate act? Yeah. That so that was a long answer. No, I, 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 was hanging on the edge of every word that you were saying because you're so right and I've heard this story um so many times where um and I can only really talk from a female perspective at being one myself but also most of my girls who I have these conversations with are female and I haven't really chatted to lots of blokes about this but I've heard this story so many times of like yeah I was on this date with this guy and he was okay but then we had a bottle of wine and then we ended up sleeping together and now I'm not really sure and it's like and I'm not judging either. This is not me coming from a judgmental space. I'm just mm. reiterating a story to to kind of say alcohol really does like blur the lines. And so you think like you have a few drinks, a bottle of wine, a bit of champagne, and you don't remember getting home. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to remember intimacy. You're not going to remember what's happening to your body. And if you're putting your body with somebody else's body, like it, it is actually really dangerous when you kind of spell it out that way. It's so dangerous because you're not, you don't have the ability because your brain chemistry has changed because of the alcohol and all of the neurotransmitters that it's secreting in there. You're not in your right mind. So how can you be, 
you know, how can you be intact enough to like actually know that you're giving consent? And that's where things can get really scary and really messy and really dangerous for, for, for both parties involved. Oh, 100%. And I don't think we have to apologize for naming that or even calling it out because we're all adults. I mean, there is nobody that I know that would fight to the nail that drunk and unconscious sex before you are really cognitively ready and uh, physically ready, spiritually ready is a great idea. I don't think anyone's regret, regretted waiting. And look, if, if two people are not affected by drugs and alcohol and are so in love or like they have a great connection rather than being in love, but they've got this amazing date and then they're like, oh, my God, this is, this is happening. We're sleeping together. It's a conscious decision. Power to you. Uh, I've yeah. known couples like that have gotten married, et cetera. So if you're making that decision, you're all like, it's my one night in Paris, I'm going for it. But if it's something that you were doing when you're drunk, but you wouldn't have done it when you're sober, it could just be a kiss. It could be prolonging the dating, going out dancing. I mean, mm. I had a drinking, you know, habit earlier on that, um, oh, I just never want the day to end. And yeah. I didn't necessarily sleep with people or all of them but the date could have just been a nice lunch for a few hours but then it just went on to like a 12 hour and whatever date and dancing and it was just an intimacy hangover and it was just it was my attachment style and a form of codependency that I was just too scared to take the risk of saying goodbye and the vulnerability of where is this going to go so I'm like well if it's not over I don't have to worry about whether whether it's going but sometimes it can just be as nuanced as that. And we don't have to apologize for waiting for sex and intimacy because it's another biochemical flush through our body. And if we're wanting to date mindfully and date better choices, we don't need that woof, that biochemical confusion, more of that intoxication mm. of hormones and a faint sense of lasting connection early on. That's such huge self-awareness for you to recognize that, well, if the date just kept going, I didn't have to say goodbye and then, you know, process mm. the feelings of perhaps being alone or, or whatever was coming up yeah. for you at the time. It reminds me of, I, I have a friend who just, just a huge lover of life, like the biggest, biggest lover of life. You know, she's in uh, late midlife and still goes out in the rain to feel the rain on her skin. Like she's mm. just... And, hmm. and every night her husband um, told me every night before she goes to bed, she goes, oh, because she doesn't want the day to end because oh. she's just like, I just want to suck every second out of this life because we've only got one life. And I just, I love that idea that at the end of the day, she's just like, I'm not ready. I don't, I just want to, but there'll be tomorrow, you know, and fingers crossed there's a tomorrow. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I find that the, the sobering, magic of reality is that you become like that you become so much more sensitive to to the scents and the flowers and the greenery and the magic around you I mean the greatest gift we have is this moment and presence and uh removing alcohol makes you so much more present and so much more delightful and look um alcohol has caused so many relationships uh, so many problems in my relationships and dating and I kind of didn't realize that because we really tell ourselves a story such as, oh, well, I didn't have a hangover when I'm waking up or I'm Eastern European, I'm built for it. And 
it's fine or you're kind of excusing it and minimizing it and um i'm i'm at the stage now where i personally that's why i feel quite integral you know doing this podcast i've minimized my drinking by 80 or 90 percent and my trick is actually in new situations is to get a drink that i kind of don't really love like one that i can just like i don't love white wine so i can easily just have a glass be social <laughs> It's from a French region and enjoy it. Whereas if there's like, it's like my favorite red wine in the world. Like I'm honest with myself. I will be hooked in. I will be tempted. That neuropathway is like so wide in for me. But um, we can just continue to be honest with ourselves and be mindful about what's serving us and what's not. And um, there, there will be times when I'll get a Virgin Mary as well. But there comes a time in all our, our lives when we have to make a choice. What's more important? the short-term pleasure and checking out and losing yourself in the moment or building a foundation for a conscious, beautiful, present relationship where you do go to bed, you know, grateful every night for the small magic moments because you are so in touch with just the magic of the everyday. Yeah. And your friend's living proof that that's possible. She sounds great. Can I have her number? I want to go out with her. She's (laughs) phenomenal. She's, she's amazing. Um, what you were talking about, Alina, um, those comments to yourself of like, um, well, I wasn't as bad as the other person or I didn't wind mm-hmm. up in hospital. So, it, you know, I call them the invisible boundaries mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's like we justify our own behaviour as acceptable because somebody else's is not acceptable according to our standard. But that doesn't mean that our behaviour is acceptable for ourselves. And I used to mm. do it so much. I used to be like, oh, well, at least, you know, I got home at two. It wasn't three or, mm-hmm. I, you know, like whatever it was. It was always um, excusing my own behaviour to myself based on somebody else's quote-unquote worst behaviour. And, yeah. and in the end, it doesn't, that again is, is not the, um, it's not the best way to assess yourself. Comparison whether you're doing it and it makes you feel like crap comparing yourself to somebody else or whether it makes you feel better comparing yourself to somebody else is not helpful. What mm. what you what people and this is what I did need to do is actually just sit down in front of a mirror and go, well am I okay with my behavior and is it acceptable for how much um damage it's causing my life and how much it's Im- imploding my relationships and my um physical health and my ability to be creative and, and you know once you start having those conversations I think you get a very real clear answer on whether or not alcohol is working for you and then you can moderate minimize or you know completely cut it out if, if that's what you want to do um, and that's mm. I guess my encouragement to people is and what I love talking about relationships because I do liken people's um, drinking behavior to a relationship and mm. it's like your relationship with alcohol is a relationship like and mine became very 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 toxic and abusive mm. and and then you know like i talk about this in my book that's coming out like mm. if you were to explain your relationship with alcohol but give it a persona so it's a person tell yes. me that story tell me that story so then you're like oh well I don't want to hang out with this person, but they're always around. They make me feel like crap. I get really bad headaches. Sometimes I vomit. They make me black out. I'm like, if that was an actual person, the advice would be 
end the relationship immediately. This is so toxic. This is damaging. That person doesn't care or value you. But yet mm. we do it with alcohol all the time. So that, you know, it, and, and also then relationship to self and, and being um, self-aware enough to sit down and go, hey, how, like checking in with you and going, is this behavior okay for me and for what I want to achieve in my own life? It's all relationships, right? Oh, so much so and very true. And I think the blind spots around it are really a powerful way of avoidance. And I love that you're sitting in front of a mirror. And what worked for me is I started keeping accountable in my life, like just tabulating how much I've spent in general, how many steps I took, how many drinks I had, how many calories were in those drinks. Oh, you know, it was just four margaritas. Like that's half a day meals worth yeah how much did I spend on it so you know if I had a, a relation with alcohol you know this person's really making me blobby and put on weight say stupid things and be broke <laughs> and it's so often we go like oh you know it was just a couple of drinks like what would you like what do we like to say we're going out for a couple of cheeky ones it's never a couple and they're cheeky because we know they're bad so I love that real sobering accountability of like what is this habit actually for me what is it really costing me and I love that uh looking in the mirror and personalizing it and I can't wait for your book by the way my goodness oh thanks yes that's been that's a real process that was a form of therapy in itself writing that book congratulations that's such an again an accomplishment of clarity and presence and participating in your life well, look, the book doesn't get rid it, written unless I take my last drink and explore sobriety for myself. And then, mm. and also I'm so passionate about, I just really feel like I am the best version of myself because of my sobriety. And mm. it's not just because I'm sober, it's because of the way that sobriety has opened up so many doors in my life and, um, and just renewed so much, um, energy so much purpose there's just so much more depth to what I do and say and care about now and I want to share that with as you know whoever will listen I'm like I will talk because <laughs> I think I everyone believe, should listen yeah I do I'm just so super passionate about it and the reason why I wanted to talk to you is because it's like the whole relationship dating intimacy thing and you know laced with booze I haven't really dug into yet um, mm -hmm. and it's like I said at the beginning of this chat I know it's so dense and it's complex for so many people for so many reasons but at least I feel like it's healthy to at least explore you know like yeah dating and drinking do go hand in hand but how can we find the strength and the tools to to date somebody sober or to explore our own sobriety while we're you know circumnavigating that world and I think that's what this conversation will enable people to do is to even just stop and ask the question like should we go on a sober date like yeah does it have to involve alcohol could we reframe the date to a, a day thing where it's not weird to not drink you know rather than a night thing where it is a bit weird to not drink yeah the breakfast idea and alcohol is just a buffer for us for what's underneath so we, if we're ready to date sober, to see the world as it is and to allow ourselves to be seen as we are, 
that is the ultimate superpower and medicine. So if you're not feeling insecure, then that's an invitation to work on yourself and to you know journal and delve deeper as to why that is. If you cannot handle uh, meeting another person uh, in a sober way, then again, it's about realigning with what feels right for you because mm. I realized I was drinking a lot on dates because I was actually really bored. And that includes social situations as well. Like, And I realized that the kind of people that I like who just fascinate me and engage me, and they've got to be super nerdy. There's any nerds out there listening. You know? <laughs> but I realized that it, that we don't have to lower ourselves to accommodate another. And often drinking is a way of minimizing ourselves so that the other person can feel comfortable. And when you realize the reasons as to why you're drinking and how it's actually hindering you from finding that genuine, sexy, exciting connection you're seeking, you actually realize that it's super empowering not to drink and that there are alternatives available. Uh, again, as I said, with really cool zero alcohol gins and, you know, I love a Virgin Bloody Mary. Like that's my jam. Uh, zero alcohol beers that you can buy at absolutely any bar then you can sit there and feel like a part of society, but you are making perhaps for the first time in your life decisions that are bold, that are courageous, that honour you and your boundaries and your self-esteem mm. um, and allow you to be honest whether you connect. Uh, so yeah, your drinking is like just a form of not trusting yourself and you can absolutely trust yourself and your intuition and your instincts and not dull them. And it's totally cool not to like someone, be bored. That's the sign of a date, not always because I'm not drinking, is because perhaps you're on a date with the wrong person. Cool. Well, that, that's, that's a key thing right there is that if you're on a date and you're bored out of your brain so you start drinking so you're less bored, like maybe just get out of the date because if it's that boring, go and find somebody else to date. So obvious. And we just tend to blame ourselves so much. It's my fault that the date is going badly and I should be drinking. And, you know, women are especially guilty of that, you know, accommodating and placating. But, you know, I say, you know, being your sovereign and, hey, if you're going to like me, you're going to love me when I'm sober, probably way more than you're going to like me when I'm tipsy or drunk. Like, I, I don't think I've had one boyfriend that has enjoyed drunk Alina. And they all had names for my drunken alter egos, including Baza and Gaza. <laughs> That's, so that's those lot. are not flattering yeah <laughs> every boyfriend no one has been like gee you are just so charming and amazing when you've had a few drinks they're like ugh. <laughs> well and no one is like I mean yeah and as somebody who's been sober for eight years I've been around a lot of drunk people in my sobriety and they're all louder and they all slur and the stories get boring the fourth time it gets told <laughs> yeah <laughs> and two on that with the dating thing there's, you know, if if sitting at a restaurant is is not um, gonna encourage a sober date, go stand up paddleboarding. Go and mm -hmm. go on an adventure. Like get lost in nature. Go and go to a theme park. Like just go go and fight. There's so many other alternatives than um, than sitting in a hospitality venue where there is just a bar and it's just so easily accessible. And so you probably end up will you know getting drinks. Like go and just do go and do an activity i'm i'm a huge i'm a doer and i'm an adventurer so i i love getting out in nature and doing stuff and even in my marriage like glenn and i have um date night and we go we go and play tennis like because 
if we sit in a restaurant, all we're going to do is talk about how awesome our child is. And that just gets boring <laughs> sometimes. So we go and we do something just to like get out of our own heads and just like kind of ground down into your body a bit and do something physical. And that's, you know, I think that's an encouragement. Anyone can do that with anyone. Mm. And, you know, an adrenal activity, uh, you know, even like going to Sky Zone, uh, those bouncy castle things or, you know, car racing, that actually um, relaxes the nervous system and lowers barriers down in a more authentic way than drinking. I mean, imagine like, I don't know, being stuck in an elevator together for 15 minutes or an escape room or jumping out of a plane or just bouncing around or doing like rollerblading or ice skating, those activities that provide a bit of a thrill. Uh, You're laughing, you're relaxed, the guard is down, you're a little bit kind of giddy. And then afterwards you can go, you know, for a tea and whatever and have like the best conversation. Then, so there are so many things to do. And I mean, if your only hobby is bars and restaurants, um, then I recommend getting way more hobbies because if you're going to end up marrying this person, you can have a pretty boring life and you're probably going to have super high cholesterol from all that fine dining. <laughs> and an empty wallet. That too. That too. I mean, a bushwalk is free, people. Come on. Yeah. Art gallery. I mean, you know, for the like lazy people like myself who are more culture vultures than walkies, walkies and talkies. I mean, just gallery readings, gigs, like if people say like, I'm bored, there's nothing to do. You just got to open the the weekend paper. There's so much going on. Yeah, there is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this chat. I, I just really, I could talk to you for a few days. <laughs> You're so welcome to. Let's keep going now. Yeah. But I just, I like to keep the chats around like of half course. an hour, 40 minutes, just because, you know, tune in, drop out time and all of that. But I found this really valuable and um and thank you for sharing about I love that you asked me a question. I think that's so excellent that um it's a conversation and I thank you for sharing just your journey and where you're up to as well as your expertise. My pleasure, Maz. Anytime and um yeah this thank you for doing this and this is a podcast I'll be recommending to all my friends and clients because we could all have a more mindful relationship with alcohol and thank you for leading the way. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.